So we're going to pick up where we left off. You know, we just got done hearing an amazing message about how our rebellion can lead us to a place of desolation. But if you're feeling desolate, there's good news. Everybody say, there's good news. Come on, because repentance leads you out. When you come face to face with Jesus and you say, I am changing my mind, metanoia. I'm changing my actions. I'm turning the other way. You will find a way out. See, we left off at a place where Jacob, it was being reconciled to Joseph. And what Jacob once thought was dead was actually being delivered. And what he once thought was dead was actually being developed. And then he comes face to face with the son and he says, now I can die. Because I've seen the son face to face. Have you had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ if you've been here? We get to a point at the end of Jacob's life, and he's getting ready to bless. He starts blessing all of his children. Why don't you grab your Bibles right now? And let's just look down at Genesis 49. Remnants, come on. So we get to where the blessings start to roll. And think for a second. Finally, after years and years and years and years, your dad is getting ready to bless you. Everything you've been waiting for. You've seen his affection poured out to merely three people, and now you're standing in line getting ready to be blessed. Here are some of the things he says. In verse 3, he starts to bless Reuben. And he's like, next. And then he blesses him. And then Simeon and Levi. And then he gets to Judah in verse 8, and he says, your brothers shall praise you. I mean, imagine hearing that. Your brothers are going to praise you. Like, Dad, I've been waiting my whole life. And he's like, next. (laughs) And then Jacob goes into this thing where he starts relating them all to animals. And you know, he, you're like, if, if my dad, who I've been waiting for his love and affection, I hope he, he calls me like a hawk. But that's not quite what we get. Look what he, he gives some of them. In verse 9, he says, Judah is a lion, this cub. You're like, I'm so close, dad. He's like, Next. Verse 14, I like this one. He says, Issachar. He's like, yeah, Dad, let me have it. What am I? Am I I a cheetah? Am am I a tiger? He's like, no, son, you're a strong donkey. Next. (laughs) Dan, you're going to be a serpent. 
Next. Then here comes Gad. Gad just walks up. He's like, yeah, Dad, tell me. Raiders shall raid you, Gad. But you shall raid at their heels. Fair enough. Next. He gets down to Naphtali. You imagine Naphtali walking in. Come on, Dad, I know you got something good. Naphtali. You are a doe. <laughs> it sounds like he says, you're a doe who lets loose, Naphtali. He's like, Dad, no, bless me. He's like, that's it, next. <laughs> he gets to Joseph, and of course, all his brothers are probably standing around, and he gets, Joseph just gets the most beautiful blessing we're not, we're, it's not even really important for what I'm saying. And then he gets to Benjamin. He's like, just so you know, Benjamin, you're a ravenous wolf. See, we're having a little fun, but what was happening right now was Jacob was literally speaking destiny and what was going to happen into his son's. He was declaring what was going to happen. He, he tells Judah that the scepter would never depart. And that's where we see Christ come from in this huge moment, this pinnacle of his life. These are his last words, and he lays them all on the line. Someone who found his inheritance in his son again, but not yet saw the complete inheritance that God had promised him. If for a second you can open to Hebrews 11. In verse 21, it says, By faith Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. He said at the end, Jacob blessed the sons of Joseph because he was speaking, and this is exactly what you are going to do. Although I have not seen it yet, by faith he spoke into, this is what is going to happen, and I am still on my deathbed, not going to give up on the promises of God. I want to tell you, that right now is the story of the remnant church. They are saying, God has spoken to us. And at times it feels like things are like death. But I know what is like death. God is actually developing. And I'm telling you because I know the cry of their heart is, Lord, I choose to believe in what you have spoken. Amen. And they're already starting to see the fruit of clinging to that promise. Come on. Turn with me to John chapter 12 and verse 20. In John chapter 12, in verse 20, there was also a man that desired to come face to face with Jesus Christ. And you would think 
when you desire to see Jesus face to face, that he's wide open so that that can happen, right? Well, then watch Jesus' response. In verse 20, now there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the feast. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we would like to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip in turn told Jesus. And you would think Jesus said, come on in. Let's meet face to face. But look what he says. Jesus replied, the hour has come. For the Son of Man to be glorified, I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servant will be also. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled, and what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? No, it was for this very reason I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Amen. Glorify your name. Amen. You see, the Lord gave me this verse before I left this beautiful place, and he's been driving it home ever since. And he's saying, you're a seed. Remnant, you're a seed, a rising church, you're a seed. And he's showing us what it is of the beauty to be hidden. The beauty in being hidden and the beauty of being pressed by that soil. Pastor Massey said it, what looks dead is actually developing. And when a seed is in the ground, it's covered and you can't see it. And it might look desolate. But actually what's happening underneath is it's developing and growing. And that pressure and that weight from the soil. Is, is pressing that seed and before long the seed burst open and it, and it does what it's designed to do, come forth. I'm telling you in this place, there are seeds in this place and there are trees in this place. There's oaks of righteousness that are, ref, are, are refuge for many, but those trees are dropping seeds in this place. And we are a seed because somebody, somebody loved us enough to take us into their refuge and to love on us and to give us life. Jesus is saying in his heart, you think, he, he, you think his desire in his heart is, I, I wanna go see that man. But the truth is that man has to live a certain life. There's something there. You must die in order to see the face of God Amen. daily, daily daily and we think this is an elementary truth but the truth is this is base this is advanced basics it happens over and over and over again we're in a place where we're so desperate once again praise god we should never leave that place we should never leave that place it keeps us in a place where we learn to what we say repent but the truth is the word repent is learning to be a master of returning when I think of a master of returning, I think of a man that taught me and came alongside me and gave me a new found perspective of what it was to return. My brother, Nick, my brother Nick Slaughter, 
is a master of returning, a master of repenting. And he taught me to, how to do that at a new level. I owe him my life for that. I owe you, Rising Church, my life for the love that you have for us. Aswan team, the Turkey team. How many? Uh, I get. I see why y'all do Aswan instead of Turkey team. I just now realized that. And it's probably a swan instead of Aswan, right? A swan. I'm gonna get that right. I'm gonna get all these things right tonight. I'm gonna return. <laughs> the Aswan team. How many verses would y'all say that you have collected? approximately, in your journey towards what you're called to do. Can you even count? Okay, yeah, okay. Nick says can't count. Judah's got it on, on point. All right. <laughs> this is good. That's a team. That is a team. Let me ask you this. Those verses, do they give you comfort as you think about the road ahead? Yeah. How many of you guys have ever gotten a verse or gotten a passage that gives you preparation in your heart about what's to come before a season comes. How many of y'all have gone through a season that was crushing, at times confusing, and you felt like you were going to die, and then you got a verse afterwards that helped explain what you just went through? Okay. One of the things that, uh, that we were doing whenever we were praying for the Remnant Church to be birthed is we were looking for that moment when the Lord would give us a passage of Scripture because that would testify to us about what was to come because it was very hard to let go of a brother like this. You can see why. It was very hard to let go of him. And man, for the life of me, I never got a verse. I never got a passage of scripture while we were waiting. And that made it even harder. Because when you get those passages of scripture, they're precious jewels, they're bread, they're water to you in the journey. But I never got that passage. How many of you guys were a part of this church two and a half years ago? Back when we were at the other side from the tent. Y'all know that back during that time, we went through a major change in this church, didn't we? Around August of 2016. You might even call it a rebirth. A change of DNA. A major shift happened. I was talking to the Lord one day. And I asked him, I said, just speak to me. And very loudly, very clearly, very boldly, he just said, Isaiah 37. This was a few weeks ago. 
So I opened up my Bible. Turn there with me. Isaiah 37. And let's start in verse 30. Now, most of us don't practice a Sabbath. Some of us are trying to. We're trying to learn about it. And it's a mystery that takes thousands of years to figure out. But I want you to imagine if food wasn't as easy as going out to a coffee bar and grabbing every kind of snack imaginable or driving up to a drive through window and getting whatever you want on demand in a matter of seconds. But if instead you counted on crops and harvests coming through and if there was a bountiful harvest, it was a bountiful year. If there was a lean harvest, it was a lean year. And then I want you to imagine if the God that you served asked you not to farm your land for an entire year and to trust that he would provide. How hard would that be to trust? Well, every Sabbath year, that's exactly what the people had to do. They had to trust that the Lord would provide the food. But every once in a while, every 50 years, on that seventh Sabbath year, year 49, another year would follow, the year of Jubilee. And that would be a second year that they weren't allowed to farm their land. Imagine how hard it would be to go for one year. How about two years? That's the Sabbath year right before the year of Jubilee. If we went back to Leviticus, which we're not going to do, he gives them instructions. He says, during those two years, I will give you enough to sustain you. You will have such a bountiful harvest the year before it starts that it will carry you through for three years during the Sabbath year, the year of Jubilee, and then on into the next year. But where we pick up here in Isaiah 37, it wasn't that they were choosing to do a Sabbath year or choosing to do a year of Jubilee. An enemy had laid siege to their camp and had blocked them from doing their crops and their harvests for two years. And they were waiting on the Lord to provide what they needed. This is exactly where the Lord took me. In Isaiah 37, 30, he said, this will be the sign for you. Or another word is proof. This will be proof for you, O Hezekiah. This year you will eat what grows by itself. The Lord told me that was the first year, starting in August of 2016. And the second year, what springs from that? He told me that that was the second year. But in the third year, sow and reap. He said that we are in the third year now. Plant vineyards and eat their fruit. Before we go any further, can I tell you this? This prophecy was given in the fall, just like we're in right now. And it was given at the end of those two years, just like it was here. And we know this because after this prophecy, the Lord brought deliverance. In their third year, they were able to sow and reap, plant vineyards and eat their fruit. He then showed me this verse that became my passage for me to see everything that happened with the remnant church through this filter. 
It says, once more, a remnant of the house of Judah will take root below and bear fruit above. For out of Jerusalem will come a remnant, and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Amen. He showed me that this was the passage for me to take comfort in. And when I look back on that season that was so hard for me, and so hard for many, I'm comforted by God's word that was written long before I ever opened the pages. Amen. And he showed me that he had made provision for us. And he had brought us to safety. He had delivered us from the hand of the enemy. And that's exactly what happened. In fact, I just opened up a map just to make sure that Texas was south of Illinois. And I looked and it said, take root below. And I remember Pastor Mike being so glad that he was able to bring fruit to this conference. And I saw again, take root below and bear fruit above. And I saw that layer after layer after layer with this verse was helping comfort me in a time where I simply had to trust that the Lord knew what he was doing, even though I did not know. Have you ever been in a place where you did not understand what the Lord was doing? It did not look like everything would work out. It did not make sense, but you trusted the Lord and you waited on him. And then he brought it to completion and showed you what he was doing. Amen. I am thankful for the remnant church and I am thankful for the truth of God, which is eternal. Amen. How can you not love pastors like those guys? All right, you're Bible scholars. What was man's first occupation? He was a gardener. He had to work the soil. That occupation's never changed. This whole theme in the one association of going from desolate to something that is restoration. That's an agricultural theme. You know, I've driven through Illinois from north or south to north in the winter. I don't know how y'all live through this. <laughs> I thought I had found the surface of the moon and it was frozen. Were it not for an occasional farmhouse, I, you know, would have thought I was at the North Pole. But it doesn't stay that way. Spring comes. Heaven showers it. Men prepare the soil. And something comes out of it. I've watched these guys. And they've prepared their soil. It'd be easy to misunderstand what the one association is. I mean, I get that a lot. Just like it's easy to misunderstand what a real church is. You get called things like cult. People assume that in the one association there must be some devious, hidden, financial secondary gain or something. No, we're all pretty broke. We found out it's more fun to be broke together than it is to sit alone. 
What we're really doing is we are committing to lifelong friendship. It's really not a lot more than that. We're doing between churches what we ask you to do as church members. We're running our churches just like somebody runs a Christian life. Now, that shouldn't be strange. But look around. It's strange. From time to time, we've challenged the consistency of soil in each other's hearts. Because that's what friends do. You know, when you build something, you love it. I made a Bible cover one time. I thought that the Bible cover was too expensive in the store and that the leather wasn't thick enough. And uh, the, the store's Bible cover was like $39. And I ended up spending a couple hundred dollars. Very cost efficient. A couple hours of my time to make a Bible cover. It was such a godly venture. I think I was so frustrated. I barked at everybody in the house and leave me alone. I'm making my Bible cover. Yes, yes. The thing is, is when I made that Bible cover, I didn't notice any flaws in it anymore. And when I showed it to people, you know, I could have asked for a critique, but all I wanted to hear was what a good job I did. Nobody could give me enough praise for it either. Anybody's ever restored a car, remodeled your bathroom, planned a large event? You get invested in things. You can ask somebody to critique what you wrote, but the truth is what you want them to do is tell you that what you wrote is good. It takes friends to challenge each other's position. You know, Ecclesiastes promises us that it's a poor person who has no one to help them up when they fall. That two are better than one. That a threefold cord is not easily broken. I want to say, as a representative of the ten churches of the one association, these guys have tilled the soil of their heart. What they have birthed is pure. And the only scripture that came to mind, because I promised I would only share one scripture, was Luke 8. In verse 8, I'm going to read some and quote some because I don't have my glasses and my arms are no longer long enough. It says, still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. Pastor Massey talked about a blessing you waited for your entire life hard to wait but sometimes you have to wait for your blessing pastor Hutchinson stepped up right behind that and talked about how a seed must die man a seed is supposed to be the very sign of life what do you mean it has to die it's very counterintuitive to lose your life to gain life pastor slaughter stepped up and said what is taken root below will bear fruit above you know, when you think about it, though, all three of those things really require a great deal of faith. Faith is having the substance of something that you're not really holding. It is standing in desolation saying restoration's on the way. 
It's looking at a barren landscape and saying, this will be the garden of God because it's my job and I will bring heaven to earth. God has anointed me for that. And you know that all the power of hell is going to try to stop you. It's evidenced every time you see a weed. They come straight out of hell. They even grow up from that direction. I believe that what is planted in Texas is the planting of the Lord. That the tilling of the soil was to ensure that it was good soil. And good soil has three markers. It hears the word. Somebody say hear. It retains the word. Say retain. retain. And then it perseveres to produce a crop. What we want to say to the remnant church is hear the word. You have a responsibility to hear from heaven. Standing in the midst of desolation is when you need God to speak to you, and it's when everybody thinks they have to go somewhere else to hear from God. Most people that pick a place to hear from God, it's a serene garden. It's a beautiful mountaintop. When you need to hear from him is when you are standing in a desolate landscape. You're going to have to continue to hear from God. You'll have to take what you already have, compare it with what you believe God is giving you, and he never contradicts himself, ever. It will work. After hearing the word, you have to retain it. Now, that doesn't sound that hard. But if you've ever planted something and waited for it to grow... You want to go out there and check. You want to scrape back the dirt and make sure the seed's still there. Something didn't steal it. What happened? I mean, we planted something and nothing's happening. In a world where everybody tells you, you simply drop it in the dirt and 3,000 people pop up. You cannot dig up and doubt what you have sown in faith. You're going to have to retain what God has given you. Now, I want to say the last one, the perseverance. This is the most important. God can and does use talented men. I'm fortunate to know a few of them. But a talented man that doesn't persevere is worthless. He's a showman. Even a man without talents, though, that perseveres, he will produce something. Because Paul said, one plants, one waters. Who makes it grow? Only God. If you persevere, God will cause it to grow. I don't question Mike Hutchinson's perseverance. I was there on his first mission trip. I had the opportunity to pastor him. That's a tenacious individual. Now, I'm old and fat now and don't work very hard anymore. And sometimes I lie when I preach. But when I was younger and stronger, he was the first person ever came through our church that outworked me. It made, I, I, couldn't, I could not understand how this man can eat Chick-fil-A 24 hours every day and work like he does. And every time he walked into my house, wanted a new plate of brownies. And somehow or another, my wife made them. 
And then we found out he didn't like nuts in his brownies, and suddenly none of the brownies in our house had nuts in them. I said, honey, what's happening here? She said, that brother perseveres. No was not an option. The remnant church is going to succeed because this man is working the soil of his heart. Not on one day or two days, but every day. He hears the word, he is retaining the word, and he will persevere until he has accomplished the goal. We're asking every church in the one association to take note of men who live like that. We've had a lot of discussion about how you add churches. Truth is, we don't know. How do you add family members? You know? And what do you do? <laughs> I, I guess that was a bad example, wasn't it? I love the principle of adoption. That's a much cleaner metaphor, isn't it? Shouldn't have put my wife on the front row. It's distracting. I love the principle of adoption. We've had a lot of discussion about how, you know, how does this work? We, we discuss things very openly. The truth is, is we don't know. We just know family when we see them. We know family when we see them. The Remnant Church has been a part. Pastor Hutchinson has been a part of King's Harvest Church. He's been a part of LCM and an integral part of the Arising Church. And now he is going to take what he has learned in the other one association churches and he is going to reproduce it right there. So that when we, where you at, Kaysen? You got to stand up. You got, to, you got a pretty woman with you this time. Last time you were alone. Now you got your wife with you. Stand up. Now, there are tireless servants like Chris and Rita and Chuck and Vanessa and amazing people of God. That is fruit, but that is fruit that was on loan. This is fruit that has already sprung up. I'm saying this because no matter what you think, when lives are changing and people are being added to the kingdom, that is our pedigree. Who told you to sit down? <laughs> it's this wife you gave me, Lord. You'll start teaching in Genesis 3. Yeah. When you see a really changed life because they have encountered the power of the gospel, that is the pedigree. You know, a seminary doesn't have a right to change that. Nobody has the right to change that. This is what Paul said was his letter attesting to his calling. So I stand before you today saying, how could we question the remnant church calling when they brought their letter? We can't, can we? Are they family? Are they family? If they are family and God has attested to it, then I think that we better get with God's program. Does everybody here see the remnant church as the one association? Is there anybody here who does not? I just thought we could have a public discussion about it. No one? Then the matter's settled, Michael. 
How do you intend to live and teach at the Remnant Church? Will you show us? Yes, absolutely. Come on, the truth is, I spent six years with Pastor Justin Johnson and he taught me patience. I spent five years with Pastor Eric and Pastor Matt and they taught me passion. And I spent three years with Pastor Nick Slaughter and a stint with Pastor Massey and they taught me compassion. And the truth is, I'm a product of their investment. And so although Pastor Eric is being really kind, I'm not that intelligent. I'm simply reading the scripture and doing what it's telling me to do. I'm going to take this jacket off because they gave me the Baptocostal mic. It's not fit for a jacket. Amen. Come on. Sons of Judah, rise. Hey, come on. <laughs> Good to be in the house of the arising church. Charismatic crack at us. Come on. Somebody raise a shout. <laughs> oh, you see, Pastor Treaster messed up and left off on the prophet Joel, one of my favorite chapters. So let's turn there and see we just pick up where he left off. Because from what I can see, God's speaking one continuous message. And they messed up and gave me the spot with a meeting with no end time. Come on. The only ones left here tonight are the ones who are hungry, the ones who are tired, and the ones who are well fed, the ones who are still saying, I have to have more. I've been eating the manna of heaven. I've been feasting upon God's word and I still feel like I can have more. Come on, I'm in the house of the saints. <laughs> oh man, what's our tagline for there now? Come on, when I think of never leaving the ice, I think of never leaving a way of life. Yeah. When I see uh, men on the ice, something is instilled in them. Something's there in their DNA that cannot be shaken. That's right. It cannot be moved. It didn't get there overnight. Some saint tirelessly, with much effort worked, to instill that in the hearts of those men. And I'm standing in the room with men and women who will not leave the ice. What's our there there tonight? What is it? Oh, man. Oh. Who started this? Is that Massey? Son of my trouble. Wasn't it? Yeah. So one of you, one of you uh, preached that. You see how high this uh, stand is getting? That's why I'm not fine tonight. Y'all make me nervous. 
It's been a while. I'm off the leash. I've been in, in, a, in a living room for too long. <laughs> Joel chapter 2. In Joel chapter 2, he starts to give a picture of the army of the Lord and, and, a, and a picture of desolation. And we've been speaking about those things. But, but my heart is to speak mostly on the restoration. And I'll, I'll try to get to that point, but let's start here. In chapter 2 of Joel, verse 1, he says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Sound the alarm on my holy mountain. Let all who live in the land tremble for the day of the Lord. It's coming. Can you feel that urgency in our generation? Can you feel our, that urgency in our day and age? We can feel the Messiah getting closer and closer. The king, the shepherd is speaking. He's getting closer and closer. And we can feel it. And we know the day's coming when he rolls back the clouds like a scroll. And we're looking forward to it, right? Yeah. Yes, we're looking forward to it. And there's an anxiousness and an urgency saying, come, Lord, come now. And he goes on to tell a story about a mighty army. And he says things about this army like they charge like warriors. They scale the walls like soldiers. They are marching in line, not swerving from their course. That sounds like men that didn't leave the ice. That sounds like a heavenly host that has the same spirit as what we're talking about in these men. But he goes on to say there's a desolate day and the army of God's coming because of that. But he says, even though, in verse 12, he says, even now declares the Lord, even though this day is desolate, there's hope, there's hope, there's hope. He says, even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your hearts and not your garments. Forget about your provisions and the things that you can sacrifice for the Lord. What I'm after is your heart. Pastor Nick and Pastor Slaughter brought it home so well. It's the desolation of your heart that God's after because he doesn't desire that it stays that way. The truth is he wants to take your desolation and he wants to bring you restoration so that you can be that for someone else. Because you're not supposed to stay a seed. You're supposed to be an oak of righteousness planted by the river of God. Yeah. Come on, it's about time that we come, become better for some, uh, better than just for ourselves. He says, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love. And he relents from sending calamity. Who knows, he says, he may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Oh, come on. That's our father's heart. Amen. Blow the trumpet in Zion. I love this. And declare a holy fast. Amen. Come on. He's not talking about a hunger strike for God. He's talking about a declaration of a way of life that says, I'm going to put myself on the ice and I'm going to stay there on purpose because that brings hope to someone else. It doesn't matter. I died 2000 years ago. I was hidden in Christ. There's no reputation. There's nothing left to give. There's nothing left to give. I died daily. 
What's one more time? It's only gain for me. So what do you want? What do I do in the waiting time? What do I do until the time that my Messiah comes back? What do I do until I see him face to face? I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do what the prophet Joel said. I'm going to declare a holy fast. I'm going to live my life as though I'm fasting from the things of the world. I'm going to live my life as though I'm a seed and I'm meant to die daily anyway. Because it's the only way that produces new life. You see, the truth is we've gone out and we've planted a work in Denton, Texas, and we've landed in muddy waters. And God reminds you, you're supposed to be a stream of living water, clear. Love that you're distinct. Love that you're different. And blow the trumpet in Zion. Make a shout and don't apologize for it. You are a shout. You're a loud voice. The truth is seeds have voices and they speak from desolate lands and they say, we are the restoration. We are the one, we are the hope of glory. You see, every time that you struggle and win, somebody else that fell in love with the struggle, they see you win. And all of a sudden there's new life for them. You are the restoration. Look in this place, look around. Testimony after testimony, nation after nation after nation. I hear the sound of giants falling. Blow the trumpet in Zion. Live your life out loud. It's okay. You're supposed to live without apology. You're supposed to live a shout. Too long the church has whispered. Too long. Look what happens when you live this way. Look what happens when you declare a holy fast. Go to verse 28. And afterwards, say and afterwards. And after you declare a holy fast, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. You're not waiting any longer. Jesus said there's a time coming and now has come where even the dead will hear the voice of the son of God and they will live. Come on. Was there any dead men walking in this place? You were once dead, but now you've been made alive. You were once in darkness, but you have crossed over. What does that make you? Alive. Alive. I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servant, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billow and smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior. This is that which the prophet Joel prophesied. Look around you, saints. Look around you. It's the real thing. You've been searching, search no longer. I'm telling you the truth. Acts 2.14 says, 
Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is that in which the prophet Joel spoke about. This, I'm saying, is that. You are that. No longer do you need to wait. No longer do you need to wait for a desolate time to become restored. You are the restoration. You're the resistance against the darkness. And the quicker that we step up and step into that reality of who we are, we take back what the enemy has stolen. Hmm. Oh, I'm trying, sister. I'm going to blow my trumpet. I don't know about you. Come on. Come on. Come on. That's right. That's right. I've been liberated. I've been set free. I dance for Jesus. Right? My hands aren't pinned to my hips. My tongue's not stuck in my mouth. There's not a piece of me I'm not giving to him. Come on. I'm declaring a holy fast. Fear can't have me. I've decided the devil punched me in the mouth way too much. I'm striking back. A brother told me today, you need to take the gloves off. Huh. I said, no problem. They're off. Let's do it. Come on, turn with me, Isaiah 58. And he's going to show us how to blow your trumpet. Remnant. That's right. That's right. Remnant, those who escape. We're not getting trapped by fear. We're not getting boxed in by conformity. We've been set on fire. Look at this thing on my shirt. Got no form. I'm burning up. My heart's ablaze. It's hard for me to walk each day and not send somebody. I learned it from you. Isaiah 58. Come on, you got a heading on, your, on Isaiah 58, anybody? True fasting. True fasting. Let me tell you something. If you think he's just talking about food, you need to read in between the lines. Or maybe just read the lines for what they say. What's he say? Come on. The prophet Joel said, shout. And Isaiah, he said it. About five times more than prophet Joel did. Shout. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Yeah. Hey. Come on. Come on. Raise your voice like a trumpet. And he says, like Pastor Treacher said, declare to the people their rebellion. How about we start declaring to ourselves first? Where's our rebellion? I don't rebel. No, no, no. But you might reserve, which is rebellion. Right? We don't, we, we, don't, we don't live with reserves. We tossed our nets out. There is no safety net. We live in full trust of our king. And this is what Isaiah is saying. He's saying, shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask, 
They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen us or seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on that day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all the workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. And look at this. He says, let me be straight up with you. You can't do this any longer. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. It's mic drop. He's like, I might as well leave. I might as well leave. You cannot live like this any longer. We landed in a land and, and God's pressing it and pressing. And I'm asking God, listen, I feel like I know what steps five through ten are, but I have no idea what, what steps one through five is. And God says, I already told you. I did so much and tell you. I've showed you. Live a life of true fasting. Declare a holy fast. Make a shout. Make a scene. That's what I created you to do. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Ha. No, we die daily. Is it only for the bowing one he one's head like a reed and for the lying of uh, and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? I think of Pastor Massey when he uh, preaches out of Romans 12. He's like, is this not a, a reasonable sacrifice? Give your life away. It's reasonable. Yeah. Why? Because what else do you have to give to a king? Hmm. Isaiah 58 is declaring the day, like Pastor Eric says, of, of pansy Christianity is over. It's over. We live in a day where daring holiness has been reduced to a spectator sport. Proverbs 28 has been quoted, and it says, The wicked flee, though no one pursues, but the righteous are what? As bold as lions. Come on. Sons of Judah, rise. Man, I, I heard lions roaring in this place. Amen. I heard them shouting. I heard a voice very loud. I heard the enemy flee. And when you're as bold as a lion, the enemy tucks his tail and he has one place to go. And that's away from you because you're dangerous. The days of David's mighty men are being challenged. But I see men in this place that'll break through the enemy lines just to bring their king a cup of water. Because they know the value of what it is to be close to the, to, to the father. Masculine holiness has been traded for metro happiness, becoming mere abstinence from the difficult. Masculine holiness has been traded for metro happiness, becoming mere abstinence from the difficult. But the truth is you were called to the difficult. Your trials and your tribulation is what brings you great victory. It gives you confidence and a backbone of steel. 
Meekness is power under control. Break off your false humility and put on real humility. Learn what it is to walk in the power of God. Learn to shut your mouth when is necessary and step up and slay devils when you need to. Acts 14, 21 says, they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith. We must endure many hardships to enter the kingdom, they said. Many hardships to enter the kingdom. Come on. Someone wants to enter the kingdom. And you don't want to just be a doorkeeper in the house of God you want to be in the throne room of God this is the heart of the men and women in this place this is that which the prophet Joel prophesied pastor Radu taught me something in the message he preached at LCM when he was preaching out of Romans 8 16 said the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children and if we are children then we are heirs Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. I consider that our present suffering is not compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Amen. Come on, a limp-wristed effort will never take hold of a dual-fisted opponent. <laughs> a part-time Christian, right, can't defeat a full-time devil. Pastor Massey said, no fearful reservations are allowed in a man of God or a woman of God's heart. That's a desolate heart, but you've been given a heart of a lion, a heart of restoration, a heart of power and of hope and of victory and of triumph. Isaiah 54 said, you cannot live like this anymore and expect your shout to be heard upon the heavens Isaiah is challenging the body to examine its fruit the bride of Christ can no longer champion the man child we've taken an assessment we've gone out and we look into the American church and this is our responsibility and what I see is a champion of the man child but in this place are full grown sons and daughters of the living God. We know what it is to press on and to press through to the maturity that is required of us by our king. You see, Jesus didn't stay in a manger. He grew up and he's a full grown man. He didn't go to a cross, he got on a cross. He didn't stay on a cross, he got in the grave. And he got up out that grave. And now he sits upon the throne of God and he's poured out that very same spirit in you. So what do you think you're going to be? It's been said that if the devil knew that Jesus was a seed, he wouldn't have tried to kill him. What happens when the enemy tries to bury you? Restoration comes. He said, oh, 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 I buried him. I got him now. Ha, he forgot. There's resurrection power in me. So if you look out and you see me and you see desolation, you need to just wait a minute because restoration's coming. I'm about to show you some fruit. (laughs) 
Romans 8.18 said, I consider that our present suffering are not comparable to the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the revelation of the sons of God. Your obedience to who God called you to be literally is holding on to the liberation of the creation. What a responsibility. Isn't that the very thing we run from? The heavy responsibility? But the truth is, if you're a seed, and like Pastor Masti preached so well, and you want the kavod, the very heavy presence of God, you want it, right? Yeah. It's weighty. It's weight. And every time we put weight on our shoulders, all of a sudden, we're trying to shake it off. But the truth is, you were designed to carry weight. Because when that weight is placed on you, all of a sudden, you're where you're supposed to be. You're supposed to spend your life on your knees. You're supposed to be in this place of humility. You want a promotion in heaven. You even got to get a demotion on earth. Humiliation, what? Is your exaltation. Amen. It's about time that we get a fresh dose of it. Amen. Amen. You see, we're asking God, send a revival. Oh, I want to fall out and I want to laugh. And <laughs> yeah, no. What you want to do is learn how to repent. Because repentance precedes revival. And this is what Isaiah is trying to say. You get no corporate revival until you get a personal revival. And when your personal revival comes, then comes corporate revolution. Because God's not after peaking revival. He's after sustainable revolution of holy living. And the truth is, the key to that is in you. And when you decide... And you decide, and you decide to be in ihad, in unity, and oneness, and to say, no matter the cost, I'm reminded, I'm a seed, so I'm supposed to die, because it's the only thing that brings life. And I'm supposed to die daily, and I love it. I'm falling in love with dying daily. When we get to that place, once again, we'll see the greatest Revolution of holy living on this earth because revival will break out in your lives. Amen. Isaiah 58 verse 6. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Is not this the kind of lifestyle I've chosen for you to live? to loose the chains of injustice, to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and to break every single chain. Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Come on, that's convicting, right? Don't you think he's talking about humanitarianism? He's talking about true fasting, declaring a holy fast. You see, when we declare a holy fast, revival comes. He's reminding us that passivity depletes blood-bought kingdom power. Come on, for too long we've sat and wait and wait and wait and wait. But the voice that I'm hearing in here is God is with those 
who walk in true fasting and repentance. And therefore, you can walk confidently before the Lord. And when devils come before you, they bow at the authority of G King Jesus that's in you. And you know where they're at? Right there on the bottom of your foot where they belong. Come on. Somebody needs to be reminded of where the enemy's place is. Isaiah's teaching us something. A life spent giving of what you do not have or suffering the loss of what you do have is not a life spent in vain. Amen. It's not a life spent in vain. Rather, it is actually the key in the very heart of God. It's the very key of the heart of God. It's not a, a season or a momentary thing that you tap into, but it's the very lifeblood of the saint. Pastor Slaughter said this is the very, this is the very kind of life that brings you sustainability, a life without reserve. Come on, what are we holding on to? What are we holding on to? Whatever, what are we reserving for ourselves? Isaiah says, yeah, no, you can't, you can't live like this any longer. Instead, you got to make a shout. You got to live out loud. You got to give away even what you don't have. I love it. Pastor Justin said the restoration, uh -uh, it's not a spiritual me time. Come on, that's profound. And that doesn't come from a person that's reading something in a book and say, oh, that's nice. I'm going to repeat that. No, that's a man living out the life and telling you his experience. So many in the kingdom say, well, well, I have 25 years of experience in serving Jesus. And I say, no, you have 25 years of the same single experience over and over and over again. <laughs> and that's unfortunate. We don't want to tell old stories, amen? We don't want to be perpetual students of some other person. We don't want to be toddlers and babies in the kingdom. We're supposed to be full-grown sons and daughters of the living God, and there's one way to get it. Isaiah's telling us how. It is, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, says God. Is it not to loose the chains of injustice, to take responsibility of the weight or the kavod of the heaviness of God? Instead of running from the weightiness, you, you realize who you are and you were called to carry that weight. And that very weight brings you into a character and an image of who Christ is. To untie the cords of the yoke that's to willingly shoulder someone else's load. To willingly see the difficult and say, that's what I was born again for. That's what I want to do. I want to be the other man that's on the ice. That's unfortunate that that one stepped out, but that praise God, that's my opportunity now. It's my opportunity. What an honor. To free the oppressed breaking the enemy's hold and restoring freedom to those who set out to accomplish mighty things for God. This is what our values are built on in this place. It's the very thing that's built this. Men set out to say, I see those who are trying to do mighty things for God. 
and they become discouraged. And they become, uh, and they've come, uh, come across hardships. And because they tried to do it alone, they found them pla- their, pla- their self in, in broken places. And all it took was someone else to say, hey, it's my responsibility. I'll shoulder that load with you. I'll shoulder that load with you. No problem. Why? Because Jesus Christ is shouldering my load. Amen. Isaiah 58, 7. Is it not to share your food with the hungry? So much more than a humanitarian effort. So much more. To provide shelter for the poor wanderer. That might be what you possess or don't possess. You see, the truth is you might have provision for the kingdom and, 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 and you give that, praise God. But where the rubber meets the road is when you give away what you don't have. When you see the naked to clothe them, to make someone else's shame your responsibility, to see them in their weakness and to step up and cover it for them. Amen. To do not turn away from your own Come on. Brother Judah said, the blood of the covenant is thicker than the water of the womb. We are family in here. You've heard it time and time again, and we mean it. We mean it. We bleed for each other. We We bleed for each other. We bleed for each other. Why? Because he bled for us. He bled for us. Isaiah 58, 8. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. Wow. You know, Isaiah started off by saying, here I am, Lord, send me. And now we got the Lord saying, hey, Isaiah, here I am. You need me? That's That's phenomenal. Isaiah provoked the heart of God. He drew some favor out of the heavens. How? By living a life of true fasting. By living a life declaring a holy fast. If you do away with the yoke of oppression with the pointing finger and malicious talk. And if you spin yourself on behalf of the hungry, if you spin yourself on behalf of the hungry, if you spin, 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 spin yourself on behalf of the hungry. Oh, how many times are we going to learn that it's not protecting our energy, but exhausting ourselves is actually what God's after. Because when you deplete every energy that you have, it's the first time you'll realize that it's his energy that's working through you and he's still in the business of impossibility. If you spend yourself on behalf, what? Of the hungry. Oh man, there's some hungry in here tonight. There's some hungry in here tonight. When we fill in these altars, it's because you're hungry. What? For more of God. It's because you're hungry for the healing that has not yet come. And we're going to get it. Yeah. We're getting it. Yeah. I'm, tell, I'm, here, I'm here tonight to tell you we're winning. Yeah. We're, look around. We're winning. We're winning. 
The devil is fleeing. The giants are falling. Why? Because we're living a shout. If you spin yourself on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like noonday. The Lord will guide you. How long? Always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land, and he will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never, ever, ever, ever fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the old, age-old foundations. You will be called repair of broken walls, restore of streets of dwelling. That's who you are. That's what you do. Come on, somebody hearing the voice of God tonight? Amen. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, come on, rising church, y'all hearing what I'm saying now. And if you honor it by not going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord that you've been looking for in the wrong place. And I will cause you to ride on the heights of the land, Ooh, watch this, and to feast on the inheritance of your father Jacob. What we've been after, what we're pursuing, what we're running hard after, feasting upon the inheritance of our father Jacob. The mouth of the Lord hmm, has spoken. Somebody quoted Psalms 2.8. Ask me. Just ask me. Look, you don't have to beg me. You don't have to pry bark. Just ask me. Ask me with a heart that's not desolate, but ask me with a heart of restoration. Ask me, and I will make the nation your inheritance, the end of the earth your possession. Come on. God's desire is for the nations, and the nations is to be inherited through you. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The prophet Joel prophesied it. Isaiah shouted it. Jesus made it possible. Elder Charlie had a vision of it, and we're living it out. If you remain faithful, and if you do not leave the ice, you will feast on the inheritance of Jacob. Oh, death, where is, your, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Somebody give me one of those papers of the, the, the One Association little pamphlet hanging around. It's where we started our meeting, and it's where we'll end. It says parking information if you want. That's no. No, there's a. Isaiah, sit right here. Right here. Come on. Come on, worship team. You say, here. Can we get the worship team up? So here's what's going to happen Michael's going to yield to the ministry of the Holy Ghost because he wants to do a work in here. You just thought that we were at a place. The truth is, God's given us to that platform, but that platform. That's, you're going to get there. We've been there. Now, now it's a platform for more. Right? 
right? And the Holy Ghost, he can do what he wants. And so we're going to yield the floor to him. And that healing for Teresa is coming in the name of Jesus. We told her we're not stopping. We're not stopping. We're not stopping. There's healing in this place tonight. There's an inheritance that has been bought by the blood of Jesus for you. And it's up to you to take hold of it. Come on, there's some sons and daughters of the living God in here. There's some people in this place that just need to step up and be bold as lion and take hold of what Jesus Christ purchased. Isaiah 49, 8 says, I will keep you and make you to be a covenant for the people to restore the land and to reassign its desolate inheritance. To say to the captives, come out. And to those in darkness, be free. So here's what's going to happen. You, the saints of the living God, are to declare freedom in this place. You're going to believe it. Maybe for the first time or the thousandth time. This is your night. This is your moment right here. Where you're going to say, I'm going to put away my timidity. I'm going to take hold to the heart of God. And that heart is the Lion of Judah. And the sons of Judah are going to rise in this place. They're going to take hold of things that they've been waiting for their whole life. That's who you are. That's what you I can hear the rumbling. I can hear the sound. There's giants falling in your life right now. Right now. Right now in the name of Jesus. Come on. Who needs healing? Healing. Healing. If you need healing... We're going to give first opportunity to come to the right side of the stage. If you haven't been bold enough to be filled with the Holy Ghost, I'm talking about with fire. Maybe you knew him in water. He's refreshed you, praise God. But you need Holy Ghost fire. 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 You, that sound, it, that's you if it sounds scary to you. That's you. It sounds scary to you because you're like, I don't know. That's, that's it. The one requirement, trust. Trust. Burn me, God. Burn me. Set me on fire. Set me on fire. I let go of, of my safety net. I let go of everything. And for the first time, I'm going to say, God, I don't even understand that. But I need you to burn in me because I have to live. I have to toss away this idea of a life with reserves living that substandard way of life I know you have more for me God I know you have more for me I'm a seed and I die right now I die to my fears healing 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 pastors Pastors, pastors are getting a, a stirring in their heart right now. There's a pastor and the elder is getting their, there's stirring in their heart. Please, please let the Holy Ghost use you right here for these saints. Healing, healing, healing right now. Come on, somebody believes it's going to happen right now, right now.